I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Hugo Monnier, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, we welcome Harlequins and England scrum half, and more importantly, a great mate of mine, Danny Kerr, along with one of the best referees in the land, J.P. Dole. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight analysis from Martin Bayfield, Ben Kay, Sarah Elgin and our studio guests. Great to see you, Danny. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. How was the, the rib you popped at the weekend? Was it just one or was it a few? A couple, yeah. They're getting, they're getting better. getting better every day, so hopefully fit for selection for this weekend. We'll see. Just taking it day by day at the moment. Did you train with England at the start of the week? I watched training. I uh, just had to be, do a bit of rehab and a bit of fitness. It's, it's never nice going down to England camp and not being able to train, but the boys were, were putting it in and you know, getting ready for that first test against South Africa. Good. Isn't that always the best way? Just to watch a bit of training, a <laughs> bit of rehab. Nice sometimes when you yeah, get a bit older. Yeah. That's quite a, quite a hello between you two guys. It's, uh, there's oh. a lot of love there. It's nice to see him. <laughs> I don't see him anymore. He's, he's, been, he's been so excited all day to have you on. Like a he doesn't child. stop talking about you. Well, all the time. He's more boy, you can see it? why. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that England training down, down in Brighton. Um, I mean, a remarkable resurgence for England. What's the mood been like? as the team started to, to get themselves together again. Yeah, it's been great. Great to get back in and see all the boys. Obviously, we've been going to battle against them for the first four, sort of four or five weeks in the Premiership, but some new faces in there. Sadly, a couple of injuries, which is, which is always not nice to see, but great to be back, great to see the coaches again and really build for that, for that first game. Mm. Talk about the injuries. It's always surprising when you hear about injuries in an England training session. And why not? I mean, it's the same as any other training session. How intense are these sessions? Yeah, Tuesday was pretty intense. The boys were, were putting it in. It was one of them that you probably don't mind being on the sidelines watching, <laughs> uh, especially being a little lad. Um, but, yeah, no, every time you go into camp, the intensity ramps up. It's that much step further than, than club rugby, which it should be. So it's, uh, it's, it's very intense, very exciting, and always pretty physical when Eddie's around. Didn't know whether I should bow as you came in because you're into judo now. England have taken on <laughs> judo. Talk us through this one. Apparently so, yeah. We've had uh, two judo specialists come in and, and teach the boys a few tricks and tricks of the trade and a little bit from, you know, how they bring people down in tackles. You can, you can bring that onto the rugby field. So the big lads have been, have been throwing it around and trying to use a bit of their technique. It's not a new thing, though, is it? It's, it's not a new thing. A lot of clubs and, and national teams yeah, use well, it, do they? Yeah, we did it in the build-up to 2011 World Cup, I think, or King of the Ring. So you started with, like, the heaviest back, which was off the <laughs> Matt Banahan, all the way down to... Not great when you've got Matt Banahan as a back. Let's have a listen to, to Paul Gustard, who's got, done great things with the England team since being appointed as one of the coaches. This is what he'd had to say about their approach with judo. 
There's obvious transference, I guess, around grappling with mauls and tackle and restart collection and so on. And also that low body position they adopt in breakdowns. Judo uh, athletes, players are very flexible, they're, they're agile, they've got good mobility. And some of the activities that they do are very practical in terms of rugby, uh, rugby sense. I think within within just that, that few 20, 30 minutes we did today, I thought I saw the players really changing and really picking up some things um, and and with it really intrigued that you know, watching them when they left they were then talking about it which shows me that they're really keen, really keen. As a coach you should always go and learn and get different things from other other sports if it's if it's a one percent it's a one percent to your advantage. I think that shows a sign of uh, not just a good coach but a great coach. Basically in rugby sometimes you want to put them on the floor and it's the same in judo so I think the crossover is massive. Actually, looks like fun. You've done some two of new Yeah, 2007 we did it. Okay. Leicester did it quite a bit. Had some MMA guys come in, and apart from the actual technical aspects that help you in terms of how you shape your body and ride those challenges when people come in to, to try and clear you out, actually, as a fitness thing, you know, we can do weights, we can do uh, running, but actually, there's nothing like grappling to replicate mauling. So it's it's a it's a great tool for that. Danny, you were talking about the injuries, um, and there have been a few. Let's have a look uh, at the list of the latest. Um, injuries. This is the England training squad only now. So we've got, uh, my eyes are so bad. Jack Clifford, um, <laughs> James Haskell, Sam Jones, um, Owen Farrell, uh, Johnny May, and Manu Tulagi. Thank you. Gosh, I'm getting old. Genuinely. Because no one knows what that. you're looking at. No, sorry, so I'm looking like, at the screen and the writing at? is like that small it's on it. Massive. Anyway, it's not massive. It's not <laughs> massive. It's not massive. Um, uh, so, okay, so Sam Jones is the latest on the list. <laughs> Bragging again. Don't again. start tonight. Bragging again. Okay. It's, so it's not. It's not that massive. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let's let's talk. Let's talk about Sam Jones. Stop. Okay. Let's talk about Sam Jones. Who will Eddie bring in um, instead of him? I mean, who, who are the options, and who do you think he'll bring in? Well, he, he mentioned about Sam Jones, didn't he, when he when he announced the team and Mike Williams because he said that um, he didn't want a traditional seven because he's looked for a traditional seven, bit of a kick to Matt Kovacic and things, but he said there isn't anyone out there, so I'm going to replicate the sort of thing that James Haskell does. I want a big tackler. I want my six to be the work rate, so that'll be Chris Robshaw, but I want a big tackler. So he's taken one of those away. Mike Williams was one of his options that he mentioned, but I think, you know, Maru Itoji, although he's a world-class lock, he can play six for the role that Eddie wants him to do, or, or wants that seven to do, he's one of the best at being able to stick to a game plan and not go off on what he usually does and just going into his old routine. And if Eddie tells Maro Itoji just to tackle all day and make big hits, I'm pretty sure that's what Maro Itoji would do. It's not a long-term solution, but if Eddie says there isn't a seven out there that I want to use, then put Maro in there. That allows you to put Joe Launchbury and George Cruz in the team together uh, and gives you, um, you know, gets two world-class locks on the field anyway. Mm. Um, and then Maro can just do that role and, and, and then when he finds this seven, this elusive seven that he's after, or James Haskell comes back, Maro can sl uh, slot back in. Good option, Hugo, because I know we were talking at the weekend about Kovacic and Luke Wallace. And do you go along with what Ben said? Definitely. 2006 is the last time I think England beats Africa at Twickenham. The one thing you need is physicality and adopting, going away from that traditional seven. It's it's, it's regardless. It, it doesn't actually matter. It's actually what, it's actually what uh, South Africa and France have always done. Their six has been the work rate player. Scott Berger. You know, you look at all the French sixes. Serge Betson played mm -hmm. six in that 2003 team, and then they had some bigger guys at seven. So it's not you know, a wacky idea that in world rugby. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You need physicality against Africa. Maritoja completely embodies that. You want excitement as well, and the England team now 
on such a good run of, of victories from the World Cup. We'll stop talking about that eventually. But back in the day, you were that new boy, you new boy turning up in an England training session, uncapped. There's a good number of uncapped players coming in. Do they bring that crazy enthusiasm that you need from players who don't fully understand what's going on? Yeah, yeah they do. <laughs> uh, it's great to see the new boys coming in. Um, not at scrum half, but, you know, it's <laughs> still nice to them. But, no, everyone who's come in has, has put their hand up and it shows that if you play well for your clubs, you get the opportunity to, to, to come play for your, potentially play for your country. So, uh, the be it's, it's, it's good for English rugby that there's, there's that level of competition. Ugo, when you look at those, those names that are up there, one name that shouts out through not being there is Danny Cipriani. In the, in the EPS squad... Alex Lazowski is in there. Why no Cipriani? Why Lazowski? Yeah, well, it's, it's, not, it's not a new thing which Eddie Jones has done. He, he did it during, uh, during Australia. The, sorry, the tour to Australia. He did it with Ellis Genge and Carl Sinclair. He took those guys down, probably not expecting them to get a lot of game time, but to try and get the young players into the system, immersed in what international rugby is about. If George Ford isn't fit and Owen Fowle is still away, kind of injured, I can't imagine Lazowski's going to start against Africa. I would have thought that Cipriani might come in into it. It's not a case of him certainly not be good enough, it's just the philosophy which Eddie Jones is working with at the moment. Let's have a look at the top <laughs> half of the Premiership table. As you expect, Wasps are there, but whoops, <laughs> no Harlequins. Where? <laughs> well done. <laughs> Bird calls at this stage of the evening. Excellent. Let's have a look at the bottom half of the table, and there are Quins. One from Bottom. We'll go into things in more detail, but what a roller coaster ride! You beat Saracens, and you must be absolutely cock a hoop. And then this hits you. This roadblock gets put in your way. Just give us an idea how the players are coping with this ebb and flow of emotions. Yeah, it's obviously tough. Uh, we obviously came off an awesome win against against Saracens, and spirits were high. And then we went down to Wasp, and for whatever reason, we didn't turn up. Um, I think we actually had 60 percent possession away from home, which doesn't really add up that you ship 47 points, but um, they are very clinical. They are, without a doubt, the form side in the Premiership this year, scoring tries for fun, and we made too many errors, slipped off too many tackles, and with Wade, Daly, Cipriani, the likes of their bat line, they, they're going to punish you. So uh, they made us look pretty silly, but Saturday's another, another game, another way to, to get back on the horse, so to speak, and we've got Northampton at home, we've got to go there and get a result. And I know you've obviously watched the game. What do you think went wrong with, with, with the Quinns defence? I mean, Danny spoke about slipping off tackles and shipping all those points. I think the, the thing about defence is, is it's actually quite a simple thing. It's, it's about doing a boring, simple thing over and over again. The thing they would be most annoyed about is how easily uh, uh, they were broken by wasps. True. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll speak more about that after. Now, um, Lawrence Delaglio is usually our stats master. Isn't he? he but in it. his absence, Ugo no. has stepped in monthly. Yeah, just hearing the guys just talk about the defensive frailties at Harlequins, and it's plain to see when you actually look at it. So we've got the stats of the first five games of the season and compared them over the last few years. And there's two stats that really stick out for me. Trice conceded almost twice the amount of tries conceded at this stage of the season to where they were last year. And defensive penalties, well, I guess if you're not making tackles on the gain line and you're given easy yards, what it does is put you under a huge amount of pressure. 28, 28 defensive penalties, almost three times the amount as last year. You can see how much pressure they're under. And that's obviously converted into the amount of tries concerned. I mean, tries converted. And this is a massive concern for Nick Easter and for the rest of the squad. 
11 tries conceded of first phase. To be perfectly honest, that's not really Premiership quality. That, that's, that's pretty appalling. But not just with that, it's the amount of line breaks as well they're conceding on first phase. That's going to put you on the back foot, hence why you're getting the penalties and why you're conceding all those tries. It is a massive shame, something which is easily fixable. If we're looking at the VT, they're not necessarily system errors. You can coach them all you like, but if players aren't willing to tackle or put their bodies on the line, you're always going to struggle. Just looking at the attack summary as well. So um, when you're actually looking at the, the game line, so they're wanting to play a little bit more ball in hand and creating a little bit more width, but I guess it's incredibly hard to be able to do that if you're only getting to the game line 44% of the time. The down and the amount of tries which they're scored, trying to play expansive rugby, trying to get the ball wide, but if you can't get game line, you're not going to be able to do that, which is resorting to wide Danny Kerr. 75% of the pitch is played, half of it is actually played through the number nine, and in the 22 they're becoming quite predictable 83 percent of the ball is actually going through number nine which i guess is probably why they're not scoring as many tries as you want you normally see them at the top of the table in terms of tries scored um, amount of tries conceded they're nowhere near those levels right at the minute sarah what do you think Really good. Ugo's talking, he's showing all the stats, you know, and, and sometimes you can drown under stats. But are we looking at a Harlequins team that's trying to play a style of rugby? Not that it can't play, that it is new to it and it is just struggling. New voices to hear on the coaching paddock and a new style of play. Would that be fair? I think we're in a bit of a transition. Obviously, with Connor leaving, JK stepping up, Minty coming into to the defence. It, it's going to take time. We're not going to click straight away. I think, you know, you show us at 11th in the table, but... We're one win away from, I think, fourth or fifth. So it, it, it's not the end of the world. We have lost three games this season, which we don't want to do. Um, but we have beaten the European and English champions, so we can do it. We just know we need to do it for 80 minutes every, every week. And however hard that is, we got an opportunity on Saturday to, to try and do that again. Because I, I don't know how many times I stood over the last few seasons when you did lose a match and asked Conor O'Shea, were you getting a bit predictable or teams working you out? And now that you are mixing it up a bit, it is going to take time, Hugo, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think it is going to take a bit of time. And, you know, we spoke and we've seen the VT of how well that was have actually kind of gelled. And I don't think a lot of teams have actually hit in their straps. The biggest thing for Harlequins is just to find that intensity and to actually find that um, competitive edge as well as the consistency. Because one week you go and beat the European champions, the next week you just don't turn up. And if you want to be a top four team, if you want to go well in the Challenge Cup, you've got to shut week in, week out. Because this is the most competitive league in the world. It's the competitive season we're ever, we've ever seen, I think. Anyone can beat anyone. And if you don't show up for one day, for a few minutes in a game, you're going to get punished. Then we just had a look at Harlequin's fixtures. One more Premiership match, then they're into Europe, then some big Premiership games when they come back. But the makeup of Harlequin's is going to change. The team That's is struggling huge. at the moment. The, the next three weeks is, is absolutely huge. I think Europe probably is the biggest part of that because the Premiership start hasn't gone particularly well. Those two weeks of Europe are the last chance they've got to actually kickstart the season, which when the boys then disappear off to, on international duty, if they haven't had a success in the Premiership or a success in, in Europe, then you lose the spine of your team. You lose this guy, Joe Marler, you lose Mike Brown, uh, Rob Shaw. You know, those guys are big for any team to lose. But when you're not playing well, suddenly, well, we've lost our big guns and it can spiral a little bit. It, it, this game's all about confidence. And when you're confident and it doesn't take much for it to come back, one win against Saracens isn't enough, but you put three big wins together and suddenly you start thinking, actually, the way we're playing is OK. Uh, but it has to happen before the internationals go away or it's going to be a, a tough time when they come back and everyone looks at them and say, come on, guys, sort it out for us. 
Well, Conor O'Shea, of course, brought a premiership title. He's gone to Italy. John Kingston is now the man in charge at the stoop. This is what he thought of Saturday's heavy defeat. I think a big part of it is mentally um, not managing to stay switched on in the game for long enough periods. If you switch off for a split second at this level, you get burnt, you get hurt. And that happened on too many occasions today. Um, it's not a lack of endeavour. It's not a lack of attitude. I was saying that a couple of weeks ago, and you saw that in spades when everybody wanted to agree that after the, the way that the team dug in last week. There's no lack of effort and energy out there. We've got to understand, A, we've got to take our chances, and B, against a side like that, we've got to make them work much, much harder than we did for the points they scored. It was too easy. Bad luck today. No, it wasn't bad luck. Thank you. He's a very honest man. You can see he's absolutely heartbroken. And his final point is they've got to work harder for it. They scored seven tries and they only had to go through 12 phases to actually get those tries. They've got to be more competitive. And no doubt we'll see a huge reaction this Saturday against Northampton. We're done on Quinns for a bit and breathe. Okay, so, um, okay, so we have some crackers for you this weekend too on BT Sport. Starting on Friday night when we travel to the wreck as Bath Rugby welcomes Sale Sharks. It's a seven o'clock start there, all live on BT Sport One HD. Then on Saturday, we go and see Danny and his mates at the stoop as they try to bounce back against Northampton Saints. That again on BT Sport One. And to wrap up the weekend, absolute belter for you. First meets second as Saris welcome an unbeaten Wasps. All matches this weekend on BT Sport One and 4K UHD. Every now and again, a dark cloud creeps across the rugby family, and sadly, it has happened this week, Hugo. Yes, some sad news from Open Rugby Football Club. Player seven acre Coco Boyle-Lalika sadly died unexpectedly last month. His teammates are raising funds for his family, and to find out more, please go to at rugby tonight. Some bright news for the England women's there. was a launch today at Twickenham Stadium. Check this out. So today's launch is all about giving the England rugby team uh, a new identity. Um, we feel it's important that the women's team have an identity with it being a massive year ahead for the England women's team. They're going to compete in the Women's Rugby World Cup. They'll have their first sponsored Autumn Internationals. And if we can give something for the fans to get behind, it will only raise the profile of the women's team. Really nice touch, actually. They're called the Red Roses because on every time they get a cap, they don't receive a cap, they actually get a red rose, which I think is beautiful. Sarah. OK, so we thought we needed a bit of order in the studio tonight, so we invited this next gent on the show. He's a familiar face by now to most rugby fans, having risen up the ranks quickly in the RFU. He has Premiership Finals, Six Nations, Pacific Nation Cups and World Cup matches on his CV. Born in Dublin, his father, Terry, was also a referee. Who am I talking about? It's JP Doyle. Great to have you here. A few years ago, we were not allowed to talk to referees. They were hidden away, they were broken out on match days and then they were put away in their little box. It's important, isn't it, that we have moments like this to, to chat and lay into you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's, it's nice to get laid into the weekend and, and during the week, it rounds it off nicely. <laughs> but it's, uh, no, it's lovely to be here, so thanks for having us on. <laughs> what, about, what about these... Uh, well, what are they? Are they amendments? Are they interpretations? They're yet again every year you've got to learn new ones, tell us about them. The ones that are coming for this season, are they working? Yeah, look, I think the, the game of rugby evolves continually, so there are lawmakers who have to keep looking at stuff, and then coaches change things, and we have to go look at ways of, of stopping that cheating again. So there's some new tweaks that came in this year that are generally helping the game speed up a bit more. We're seeing ball and play over 40 minutes regularly now in games. 
um, around the scrum of the liner, getting the ball out a bit quicker. So suspicious. It's not cheating. <laughs> <laughs> I can see your eyebrow go up, Danny. The little tweaks um, that, that JP thinks are making the game better. How do you, as players, feel about the, the new law amendments and so forth? Yeah, I think, as, as JP says, the, the game moves on. We want to have the game quicker. We want the ball to be in play as long as possible. So, uh, for me, I want to see less less with the ball, the back of a scrum. We want to get out and move the ball and, and see players with some with some talent and ability run with the ball out wide. So uh, it's, uh, it's it's one of those things that comes with the territory. No players with talent and ability in the front eight then. In the pack, <laughs> <I'll try. laughs> Not many. <laughs> so Billy from Yeah, no, Billy's <laughs> Billy's all right. Yeah. What, what about the? Um, there seems to be this wanting now to make sure that the relationship between the players and the referee is strong. That's never been a doubt, has it? No, I, I think especially well, my big experience is in the, in the Premiership and the clubs and the players are, are really good 99% of the times. And there's just a few bits over time that we've looked at. We want to keep it to this level rather than let something slide and have to work to come it back. I think we want to keep where we are and we want to keep the good relationships we have with scrum halves and captains and, and coaches and managers of teams, definitely. I think sometimes when you get a law amendment or a directive come in, it's actually quite difficult on the referees because you're... Um, you, you, you almost have to have in your mind what they're looking for. So, you know, if a new law amendment comes in, sometimes it gets overdone a little bit at the start, and it's almost, you know, the coaches call it box ticking. Oh, they've, they've done a couple of those in the game. The, the assessors can leave them alone now. That you'll inevitably get times where there's a bit of friction with that with the players. So, you know, when when they're saying no appealing, well, it's actually. I know people at home say, well, that's great, no appealing, but actually the people at home will be screaming at the telly and, and sometimes it's just a reaction from a player. The reason that law was brought in was so we don't have people chasing after the referee so, you know, aggressively like we've seen in football. That's not acceptable. But occasionally someone going, oh, knock on, because they've seen it and then getting a telling off sometimes strikes back. So we've got to find that balance with all these new things. I think. What, about, what about celebrating a try, but also, more importantly, celebrating a good scrum? Everyone loves a good scrum. <laughs> and uh, we had a situation, I don't know if you can see this, of Saracens enjoying life. And, uh, you know, a good scrum is a thing to be, thing to be marvelled at. Um, and yet they got penalised for this. What's, what's, the, what's the view on that? Well, no, they weren't penalised. We just, we just talked to them. It was a, a turnover here from... Uh, Big Jim Hamilton. I don't think it's acceptable when we got extra players on the ground for all your players to rush in to congratulate. I don't care. It doesn't happen. It's not good for the game. Players on the ground. If they all rush in again with players on the ground, I'll reverse it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't want it. Okay, well, it wasn't a scrum. It's like sporting play. You said, yeah. like, out the sandpit. You can't play yeah. out the sandpit. Because I was commentating on that game, and yeah. I was like, fair play to Saracens, because it gives you energy when, you, when you get a moment like that. So I thought you were a bit of a fun police there. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's what my job is fun police. But I think, look, we want to have a balance about getting things right. And as referees, we've got to go away and have a look at what did you do in each section. And you look at there, I had concern for the Exeter player on the ground. I thought there might be a frack on. I'd have a problem to deal with. But there wasn't. The Saracen players were just congratulating each other. And I probably was a bit overzealous there. And you go away. And I spoke to the players after the game. And you probably talk about it. And you come out. You recalibrate. And you go again. But that's one, of, that's right one of those time. moments where you've been told at the beginning of the season. And, you know, yeah. every time you have a meeting, we must clamp down on this. And it... Yeah, inevitably, things like that. <laughs> Daddy's sitting there thinking, thank God he's taking some straight. <laughs> 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 I'm, yeah, I'm, so I'm saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
So we've already taken a look then at how Quinn's fared at the Rico on Sunday. Uh, let's start then by looking at the Saints, because they've not been playing badly this season so far. They just haven't been maybe making the most of those opportunities, but they got um, they got a win at the weekend. And I want to talk about George North, because he was at the heart of a lot of things that Saints did well, especially in that first Yeah, when, it, when he first joined Northampton, we were all a bit disappointed, because, and he was, he said, I'm not enjoying my rugby there. He's uh, this year really started to, to blossom and you know, what I love to see is him coming off his wing and, and you know, creating opportunities. I spoke to Jim Mallander after the game about it. He said, well, we need to keep him on the wing because he's the best at finishing. We've seen that this year already. But at times, get him off the wing because he creates havoc and ties in so many defenders. Danny's a difficult man to stop, isn't he, once he gets into a stride? <laughs> he is, yeah. He's a powerful athlete and uh, give him a yard and he'll, he'll take it. Uh, that just shows... You go from the back, they'll go from anywhere and they can score a try. I think I think they just scored or extra just scored and you know you're always you're most vulnerable probably when you uh, after that and Northampton proved that they went the whole length of the field and it, it probably changed the game on the night for them. So someone we gotta look out for this weekend. Yeah, and a lovely moment for Rory Hutchinson scoring a try on his debut. Now we had a poll that we put out to you guys determining who is the best winger at the moment in the premiership and it was kind of Kind of loaded for him a little bit on this kind of form. <laughs> is George North the best winger in the Premiership? Absolutely brilliant player. 59%, 41% know there are better options. But, guys, you want your big men to be performing. Northampton have made some big signings. George North from a few seasons ago and Louis Pickamol has come in. Uh, sorry, you, you were chatting with him and I don't think it was the oh, heavy Welsh accent. We have accent. to show this again. Um, <laughs> but not only it. do you have Pickamol performing well, but young Harry Malander performing well on the pitch and performing well off the pitch as well. Came to your assistance. <laughs> Ali, you've had a fantastic start to your Northampton career. You're really settling in here. <laughs> I wish I could translate in French, my French. Are you settling in here well? So, you happy here? Yeah, very happy, very happy. I need to learn English more fast because it's hard for me, but very happy to hear with guys like this. It's good. OK, so très bien, Louis. That's the limit of my French. You are the Viva Premiership man of the match. Well done. It's you. Très bien. <laughs> I love the fact as well that Harry Mandler, the number 10, towers over Louis Pickamore. <laughs> Hello, you happy? Happy. Happy, happy. OK, let's um, talk about Bath then before um, Sale's third successful victory over the Tigers. So they've obviously got some consistency issues there. Um, but Bath, I think we forget how much of their squad are actually injured at the moment. Almost a third of their squad are injured. They've only lost one game and they're going really well, aren't they? They're going really well. I love Todd Blackadder's approach as well. He's come into a squad which obviously massively underperformed. There were questions about culture and how they were functioning. He just said, I've just kept the kept things the way they are, haven't changed too much, and it seems to have allowed them to kind of express themselves a bit more. You do forget Fotili, he's made a massive difference, I think. George Ford is really enjoying playing with him, and great to see Anthony Watson going for a try, but a, a really important away win for them at the weekend, but some concerns uh, growing at King's home. Yeah, what about Gloucester, Ben? You know, Todd Black had his first experience of a West Country derby. He must have thought, what's all the fuss about? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what to, to make of Gloucester. I don't know where they're going or, or, or what they're trying to do. You know, we always talk about Gloucester as a, as a big side. The only reason in recent years that they've been a big side is because of the quality of their fans and how you know, they've stuck by them through thick and thin. But actually, I can't really work out. You know, some of their former players are being quite critical. They, they've lost some some big names. You know, James Simpson, Daniel, Andy Hazel have both been quite vocal. But you know, they've they have lost those those uh, Gloucester through and through players. But you just I can't see where they're going to go from here. What they're trying to achieve. They, they've tried to change their game plan slightly, but they've gone away from the things that made Gloucester special. 
and, and they haven't re really replaced it with anything better. So I, I just, it's going to be a tough turnaround for them there. And, you know, as I said, the fans, it's the best atmosphere in the Premiership to, to play at, you know, even when they're obeying for your blood. It's fantastic. Not the best place um, to be for a referee, though, is it? It's, it's great to have front row seats of them going at the referee. <laughs> we spoke about this in the week. Essentially, you want the team to be as big as its club. And at the moment, they're nowhere near it. Now, we're not privy to what's going on at Gloucester, but you get the feeling that uh, there are problems from within in some way, shape or form. And you have to listen to these voices from former players. They do understand the club. We've got a message here, a tweet from Andy Hazel. As a Gloucester fan, so disappointed at the minute. A good group of players, but the ethos and culture from the top does not sit well with me. Now, Ben, we don't know what is going on, but if a player of Andy Hazel's calibre and knowledge of his club is saying something like that, you have to question wonder whether all is well at Kingsley. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we haven't mentioned is we don't know what their financial constraints are compared to other teams. They, they have an owner, but it was a guy who had a part ownership and now has full, so there hasn't been a big injection of cash. And can they go opposite, you know, the likes of, of Bath with, with Bruce Craig? Probably not, but the culture is, is something that, that, that doesn't cost anything. Um, they sorted out quite a few of their problems with some of their signings. Uh, you know, they were the worst scrum. They brought in John Afoa, and, and that certainly uh, shored things up there. But, um, yeah, if, if the, if the ex-players, they, they'll still be in touch with the other players, so that's a worry that you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have heard on the grapevine that things aren't all rosy. We had Dross Moriarty coming out this week um, criticising their game plan in, in the second half of that match, saying it was too conservative. That, that's not good, is it, I guess? If well, it's not good, I think, for players to be speaking publicly about what's going on in the change room. I think there's things which you sort out at Monday meetings. I'm sure they've had plenty of those crisis meetings this season. But for me, the worry is it doesn't seem to be one problem. I don't even think they know the problem. Until you find out what's going on, you can't actually address it. Last year, was plenty of injuries. And, you know, you can kind of scope for that and you get the calibre of players that are missing. But then this season, it could be game control, could be decision-making, it could be poor defence could be just unforced errors. I mean, you can't really put your finger on it at the moment. Wow, that's Saracens Wasp game. That is going to be absolutely thrilling. What a game that promises to be. And there's more to this one than simply the top two teams going head-to-head. -head. Saracens will want to make amends for that humiliating loss in the same fixture last season. Very different tactically, these two teams. So, Hugo and I thought we'd take a team each, pretend to be the coaches. Obviously, Hugo looks most like Di Young. So, uh, <laughs> you're going to go for him. You're going to look after the Wasp guys. Then I'll have a look at how Saracens might approach it tactically. Yeah, two really different styles of playing. And for me, if Wasp to get anything out of the game against Saracens, this is huge for Saracens. In terms of the way in which they use the ball, they do kick the ball pretty much up to about 40 metres away from the try line. If you don't defuse any of the high balls, they've got a fantastic chase. You're just giving them easy ball in the wrong half of the pitch. Dominate territory. Saracens are the master of that. If you can take away the ball within your half and get it into their half and apply pressure to them, which they're not often used to, you get yourself into the game. Attacking Saracens set piece. Well, that, you know, that's a given. That's a non-negotiable, not just for this weekend's game, but for every single game you play. But understanding how strong Saracens Mauler and how big they are off the scrum with the likes of Vunapola off the back of that, you need to get at least parity there if you're going to get anything out of it. Saracens and their Wolfpack mentality defensively, they will rush you. They'll cut down your thinking time, your space. And for the likes of Elliot Daly, the Christian Wade, if you can solve that in terms of getting into your shape really quickly, then I think you have every opportunity in discipline. 
This is huge. Not just because Saracens use this to actually kick field position, get into that um, attacking mall, but they also use that as a way to relieve pressure off them and pin you and suffocate you in your own half. And this for me is huge. Stick to the game for 80 minutes. Northampton did it for 60 and they went off the ball. Harlequins, the only team to beat Saracens this season, they did it for 80 minutes. And if you can do that, allied with all of this, you give yourself a chance. First of all, a structured game. For Saracens, they play at their best when they control the game. If it gets loose, it plays right into Wasps' hands, particularly with that bat line they've got. Controlling the energy and frustrating Wasps. Controlling the energy, there's no point going through phases after phases, which means defensively you'll be fatigued, you'll open up the spaces for those guys. And the more you can frustrate Wasps, the more the likes of Danny Cipriani are going to want to try extra things as the game goes on, maybe take a few too many risks. Talking of Cipriani, don't bite on the first receiver. He's the best at going to the line, putting a forward through a hole. Also, the forwards are pretty good at that, and you've got Jimmy Gopeth. If you bite in too hard on the first receiver, it might go behind the back, and they've got that ability out wide. We've seen the short kipping game, uh, kicking game. Sweeper is all important. You've got Wigglesworth. He's going to have to do that role in behind, marshalling all those little attacking kicks. If he's taken up into a ruck or he's in the defensive line, someone has to recognise that, because that's when they're at the most dangerous. Our kick chase is really, really good, but it's going to have to be extra good. We can't kick loosely to their back three, but we, uh, we have to be able to go straight at them, fill all those holes and stop them attacking back at us. And finally, work on the inside. They're so good at getting into those wing channels. And with the pace of Elliot Daly, that throw back inside, we've got to work extra hard on the inside. If we do that and can take out their winger, then make the tackle, there are turnover opportunities for us. Crossfield kicks and box kicks. You've mentioned uh, Christian Wade. He's not the biggest. He's quite good under the air, but we can attack that. We've got really good, but we have to be accurate. We can't give him any space once he catches the ball to run into. Our counter-attack, I don't think they're, because they play quite loose, I don't think they're particularly structured and they're not very good at keeping that line. There are opportunities for Alex Good there. Forwards in the 13 channel can get a little bit lazy with some of their defence and we've got opportunities to attack there. But this is a big one. Target 10 and 12. You've got uh, Danny Cipriani, you've got Jimmy Gopeth. They both tackle quite high. We can get the likes of Billy Vunapola, Mako Vunapola, an arm into the chest and we can get extra metres in the, in, in the tackle. If we do that, they've got a really poor wrap. And we saw that in the Northampton game. The ability of players, once we've made a dent in the middle, to get round defensively for them. If we're accurate, we will have opportunities to score. We can't get frustrated and try and play as open as them. Gentlemen, that was outstanding. Loving your work. Give him a round of applause. That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well done. Top class. Now, we've asked you to, uh, to predict the matches for the weekend. These are your predictions coming up. You agree on most of them. We're just yeah. going to talk about the ones you don't. So, uh, Ugo, for the Harlequins-Northampton game, I just expect to see a massive reaction for the guys. They're back at home. They've got a proud home record. I just think they'll have too much for Northampton. Ben, why yeah, do you I think was, I was really torn with this, but I just think maybe Saints just started to get a bit of confidence. They'd love to go and have a bit of an arm wrestle game and, and come out on top away from home as well. OK, you just talked about Saracens Wasps. Ben, you have gone for Wasps. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've both chosen each other's teams. <laughs> probably down to the quality of the coaching that we've put in. Uh, I don't know why Saracens are the ultimate team at doing the business when it matters, but just Wasps offer something different, as we saw last year and at the Rico. Okay. At, at home, I can't not be back in Saracens. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again next week. See you then.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 